If you turn with me to today's scripture reading, it comes from Psalm chapter 23. We've been walking through a series on Psalm 23, and we're going virtually verse by verse or line by line. And Psalm chapter 23 is a Psalm of David, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Now we're going to be emphasizing verse 4 today. We've been looking at Psalm 23 because Psalm 23 teaches us that the key to happiness, and it's ironic, is not about working and earning, but about resting. It's not about earning and striving, but it's about receiving. It's, about, it's not about driving things, but being led. It's not about fixing yourself, you know, self-care. It's a very popular word today, but it's about trusting. David, perhaps the greatest king of Israel in its history, he's the author and he's reflecting on his own life and he's saying, if the key to success uh, is about earning and working and driving and improving yourself, then you're going to be alone. You will be lonely. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Trusting, I'm trusting in his care. I'm, I'm intimate with him, and I sense and experience his love. That's the key, and that's what's going to get me through times of emptiness and restlessness and chaos and brokenness and sin and losses. Now, remember, David's been in the valley. David's experienced the shadows. David is faced. He's been eye to eye with death. In 1 Samuel 17, David is literally in the valley of Elah where he fought and defeated Goliath. In chapter 18, all the way through the end of the book, there's a civil war and David is at the center of it in 1 Samuel. David is in caves and he's hiding and he's being hunted. In 2 Samuel, David is committed. Uh, he's committed and he's suffered betrayal. So for years, David was alone. For years, he was isolated. For years, he was empty and thirsty and broken and in sin and lost and suffering and battling. And so Psalm 23, he's looking back and he says what? The Lord is my shepherd. It's a metaphor, but it's really a reflection of his life. And it's a gift to us, God's people, because everyone is in the valley at some point in their lives. Many times, we're in darkness in our lives. What did David have in the valley that enabled him to have power and courage? And David's answer is, it's the presence of God. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It gives me comfort. There are three things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, that, we're going to look at the valley, we're going to look at the fear, and we're going to look into the comfort. The valley, the fear, the comfort. First, we're going to look at the valley. David, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And so he begins by saying, I don't lack anything. I don't, I don't lack anything. I'm resting in him. I'm at peace. I'm restored. I'm never led in a bad place. In other words, God is my provider. God is my rest. God is my peace. He's my healer. He's my righteousness. And he leads me. He guides me. Even if I'm in the valley. 
Now, what is the valley? The valley is a ravine. You got to look at the Near East and the way it's kind of constructed. It's, it's a ravine. And the valley is the lower part of a rocky base that's covered by trees. And so it's dark. And because it's dark, it's all, because it's always covered, there are predators lurking about. There are enemies lurking about. They're ever-present. And so the valley is a dangerous place. It's a treacherous place. In other words, David, on the heels of saying that he guides me through paths of righteousness for his name's sake, he's saying that those paths of righteousness, the best path that God has for us, where God guides us, is not absent of darkness and suffering and death, but can be filled with darkness and suffering and death. In verse 4, he continues the expression, he guides me in paths of righteousness by saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What does that mean? David's saying, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of danger. I've been through dark times. I've, uh, I've, I've been through a lot of pain, but my shepherd, who is my Lord, has always led me. He led me through every valley. Apart from the Lord, apart from the Lord, who is my shepherd, I will die in darkness. I will die in danger. I will be swallowed up by evil, swallowed up and devoured by my enemies in the wilderness. That's what he's saying. David understood this because he lived in caves. He's been hunted. He fought giants in the valley. He was hunted uh, in the valley. He had been at war in the valley. But the valley is not just a physical, uh, physical danger. It's not just a physical thing. It's a metaphor for a relational geography where David was in his relationship with God. And basically what he's saying is that sometimes your heart is in the valley. Sometimes your heart is in a dark place. Sometimes your heart is in a dangerous place. And you could have been in this place for years, decades in your life when you're in sin, when you're confused, when you're in darkness. And you know, when you're in a canopy where you're completely covered by trees, nobody from the t- it seems like nobody from the top can see you because you can't see the light. You can't see sun. You haven't seen sunlight for a long time. You're completely enveloped. You can get swallowed up. Now think about this. If you live a life of lies, and you live a life believing lies about what life is, and if you continue on that way, your life will become a lie. Your life will be a lie, and you're going to die swallowed up in lies. And your life is going to burst forth into an ultimate life that is filled with lies. If you live a life angry, your life is essentially going to get swallowed up in anger and hate until one day your life is going to burst forth into the ultimate place of anger and hate. If you live a life of pride, if you live a life of self-justification, you're never going to be honest about yourself. You're never going to be honest about your sin. You can't truly see yourself because you need to be viewed as someone who's always okay. And so, one, you're going to look down on people who are not okay, who don't live like that, and that's going to lead you to a life of judgment and arrogance towards people, and people are going to be drawn away from you And you're going to live an empty life until one day you're going to burst forth into the ultimate emptiness, the ultimate loneliness, the ultimate arrogance. There'll still be pride. 
If you're swallowed up in pursuing a specific relationship in your life, it could be your child, it could be your spouse, it could be your parents, it could be pleasing your boss or your boyfriend or girlfriend or getting a boyfriend, getting a girlfriend. This is what I need to get a sense of worth, you say. You're going to give and you're going to invest and you're going to give and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to give and you're going to be tired and anxious and angry and entitled and deserving and you're going to lose yourself in that pursuit. And your life is going to be consumed by that empty relationship. And if you keep that up, there's this incremental descent that you can't see yourself. A deeper descent into the deeper valleys of darkness that you won't even know. You won't even see it because you're lost until you're lost altogether in that lostness. You see that? That's the valley. The valley is dark places that we go because we've wandered away. We've grown apart from the Lord. The valley is that, is that lonely place, that dark place where we're suffering silently, that where we're anxious silently. But the psalmist, David here, says, even there, looking back, God was present. That's what he says. Verses 1 to 3, he refers to the Lord as a shepherd. But then verse 4, he turns to the Lord. Verses 1 to 3, he's referring him as the shepherd, as the Lord. And then in verse 4, he turns to the Lord. And he says, it's a prayer. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In verses 1 to 3, he's calling him the shepherd. It's very personal. But in verse 4, he's calling on the shepherd. He's speaking directly with him. There's a relationship. Look at the intimacy of this relationship. Look at the closeness of this relationship. Look at the warmth there. What, what David is sensing, what he's experiencing in that moment. Look at the confidence of David as he shares this. He says, all my sin, all my suffering, you were there all along. All those times that I was hiding in caves, all those times when I was fighting giants, you were there all along. All those times when I was suffering and wailing and praying and, and just in the deep on my knees and, and crying out, you led me there through it all. And I realize that I may go through that valley again, but I will not fear that evil because you are with me. You are there with me in the valley. That the best path in your life is not where there's no valley, where there's an absence of suffering, but the presence of God in your valley, guiding you, shaping you, changing you. That's the valley. The second part that we're going to look at, the second thing we're going to look at is the fear. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There are two questions here. What is that evil that he's referring to? And what does he mean by fear? The shadow of death, it comes from a compound Hebrew word that conveys the shadowiest of shadows, or the deepest darkness, a darkness that's so deep that it's like death, a darkness that is as thick as death. Because what is death? Death is a life apart from God. Death is the ultimate darkness. All over scripture, we see light being used as a metaphor for life. And, and darkness is then a metaphor for death. In the darkness, there's no clarity. In the darkness, there's no certainty. In the darkness, there's, there's a terror. There's an evil. Remember Michael Jackson? Michael Jackson's thriller? Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. What does he say? Creatures crawling search for blood to terrorize your neighborhood. In the darkness, there is, there is, uh, there is enemies. In the darkness, there is uncertainty. There's a terror. 
But, Psalm, but the psalmist says, even if I'm in this valley, the deepest darkness, the suffering, even though creatures and enemies are hunting me for blood, I will not fear. But he has every reason to fear. Why does he say, I will not fear? It's because when you're in the darkness, you don't know where you're going. You don't, you don't, you're lost, essentially. And the road itself, even if you're on a road, it's dangerous. There are active dangers, predators everywhere. And you can fall to them. You can be devoured by them. You will die in darkness alone. What is the fear? fear what is fear? Fear tells you that there's danger. That sensation of fear tells you that there's something that's uncertain that's dangerous. But fear can be crippling if you give in to it. If you succumb to fear, if you're consumed by fear, it's crippling. And the very nature of fear is what? That it's always bigger than the reality. That's why we're afraid, because fear is bigger than the reality that we see. Fear causes us to envision a type of death or a death, and it's tiring. It has a way of consuming you. And so before you're even devoured by the reality, you're devoured by the fear. Ernest Becker, he wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, a book called The Denial of Death. And in it, he says, we're consumed. We are consumed by our fear of death. We acknowledge that we're going to die, and we're consumed by it in a way that we just want to escape it. We want to put it away. We want to deny it. And so we're running around frantically trying to take our minds off of the reality that we're all one day going to die. And once we die, it's because, because we're just atoms and molecules that randomly collided to eventually evolve into human beings. There's no meaning in life. There's no purpose in life. And so death is the ultimate darkness. There's nothingness after death. And so as a result, we're driven by our addictions. We're driven by work. We're driven by our sexual relationships. Why? Because we desire anything that's going to give us right now that sense of meaning and worth and purpose and control and power and vision and clarity when in reality, none of those things exist. None of those things are real. Apart from God, there is no such thing. There is no certainty. So we're coping with this fear, and we're frenetically running around. That's what it's like when you're in darkness. When you're in darkness, you're constantly frantic. You're constantly just kind of moving around. You're constantly uh, bumping into things, and, and you're, there's this great fear because you don't know what's even a foot in front of you. You see that? And we're coping with that. We're driven by fear. The psalmist here says, I will not fear. Look at his poise. There's this relationship, this correlation between the psalmist's personal relationship with God and his poise and confidence in the world. Remember, he doesn't say, I will not fear for the shepherd is with me. He says, I will not fear because you. He's turning to him. He's praying. He's dialoguing. He's connecting with God. He's saying, I will not fear because you are with me. Verses 1 to 3, the shepherd provides and leads, restores, guides. Verse 4, the shepherd is beside him. He's with him. Our God is so tender and so warm and so good and so faithful. I mean, I'm talking to a crowd here that's been through stuff. Everyone here has been through something in life that is just, at some point, almost brings you to your knees. And yet to be able to look back on your life, can you say that our God is so tender and so good? Through that, through that fire, I learned. I was refined. Our God is so faithful and so compassionate. He didn't break me even though I felt broken. 
He didn't ruin me. And so, he, and he's not so far ahead of me just telling me, come on, buck up and catch up. That's not what he does. He's right there in the struggle, walking with me, encouraging me, carrying me. That's the fear. We have the valley. We have the fear. Now that leads us to the comfort. He says, your rod and your staff, your tenderness, your compassion, your goodness, your faithfulness, it comforts me. The rod its sole purpose is to protect and defend. The staff, its purpose is to guide and discipline. Notice, he doesn't say, I fear no evil. Your rod will protect me and your staff will keep me in line. That's not what he says. He says, your rod and your staff, your protection and your law, your presence and your, your prescriptions, they comfort me. Why? David isn't writing a paper on the function of the rod and the staff. That's not what he's doing, right? He's not writing a paper or a treatise on the role of a shepherd. He's writing a song. He's singing. And he's singing about the presence of God, the presence of the Lord, and the law of the Lord in his life, its purpose in his life. And he sings about the comfort and the relief. It's what the presence of God and the law of God, it's what they do. When you have the presence of God mixed with the law of God, there's tremendous relief, tremendous comfort. You have a ground that you can stand on. You have guardrails that pre prevent you from wandering to the right or to the left, getting off the road. David is singing. How? I mean, David is recalling when he was suffering. He's recalling his sin. God is present, and God delivered him. That's the rod. And God has also trained him and taught him, even through his sinfulness, through those dark moments, with his staff, he guides him and disciplines him. In other words, God has used even his darkness. God has used his sin. God has used evil around him. God has used his pain. God has used our suffering. God has used our danger. God has used our own sin to save us and strengthen us. And when you realize that evil and suffering cannot ruin you, it cannot devour you because God is present protecting you and guiding you and shaping you, one, it's going to develop a humility in your life. You're going to cling to the shepherd. You're going to cling to Jesus because you realize you're helpless without Jesus. And two, it's going to create a greater confidence in your life. You see, when you work to earn your own security, your own safety, and you actually succeed, there's going to be a confidence, but there's no humility. And so, because there's a confidence but no humility, there's no song. It's just work. It's just what you did. And on the other hand, when you try to build, when you try to earn your security and earn your safety and you fail, you may have a humility, but there will be no confidence. And so, there will definitely be no song. But the gospel is good news because the Lord, the King of the universe, our God, is our shepherd. And he goes ahead, and he is with us, and he protects us, and he saves us, and he guides us. There is no spiritual bully in your life that you can face and confront because you have a greater giant behind you, towering over any sin, towering over any brokenness in your life towering over any circumstance to let you know and assure you, just stay with me, cling to me. I will carry you through this. I will walk you through this. He will protect you. He will save you. He will guide you. And then even the law then becomes good. If he says, hey, we're going to go this way, go with me. You know it's good. You know it's safe. You will sing. You will sing.
There's a humility because you know you didn't deserve it. There's nothing you did to earn it. To earn that kind of relationship, no way. And yet there's a confidence because, because you did nothing to earn it and because it's something Jesus Christ earned for you, you know that there's nothing you can do to lose it. Because remember, when Christ saved us, when the Lord saved us, he reached down into our death to bring us life. You see that? It's amazing. You're never going to say, you know, suffering is good. That's good. Like Dr. Pangloss, if you've ever read Voltaire's Candide, you see that? Voltaire, he looked at suffering and he was very satirical about it. He looked at suffering and he looked at the way that some people, particularly Christians, would say, well, suffering is good. And some Christians even looked for suffering and he mocked that because he know, he knew what we know. Suffering is never a good thing. Suffering is never good by itself. It's why Dr. Pangloss in that book, his name is Pangloss because he, he, he glosses over everything. You see that? And he didn't really see reality with clarity. And so he believed that every suffering that he endured, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. All these things happened to him. And he keeps saying this is good. It's an optimism that's not rooted in truth. There's this groundedness and this confidence as a Christian who says suffering is bad. Evil is bad. But God, my shepherd, protects me and saves me and he's with me and he's using every evil for his glory and for my good. And so that word comfort in Hebrew, when you translate that word in the Greek, it's the same word to describe the Holy Spirit. David's saying, your presence is with me. Your presence is with me through every evil, through every sin, through every brokenness and danger and pain and loss and betrayal. And, and you are using these things to strengthen me and to build me. And so we sing, through many dangers, trials and toils or snares I've already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. Thy rod, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That word comfort translated is comforte. It's not comfort as in relief. I mean, there is a relief there, but it's comforte with force, with power. What humility what confidence? How do you get it? Centuries later, Jesus Christ is at the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's dark. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm alone, and I'm in the valley. I'm in the shadowest of shadows. I'm in that deep darkness. And yet this was just a foretaste. It was just the shadow of death. Because on the cross, the sky actually grew dark. Darkness came over the land while Jesus was on the cross crucified. And the wrath of God was pouring out on Jesus for the penalty for our sins. And there he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, now I am in the ultimate valley. I'm in the ultimate evil. I'm being consumed by darkness, the ultimate darkness. I'm consumed by the ultimate suffering, the ultimate death. Jesus Christ didn't just enter the valley of the shadow of death. He actually died. 
And he experienced the ultimate darkness and the aloneness because he was separated from God. And yet he says, my God, my God. You know, that comes from Psalm chapter 22. He's reciting Psalm 23. And Psalm 22 says what? Roaring lions tearing, are tearing prey. They open mouths, their mouths wide against me. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. In other words, I am in that valley and the predators are here and they are ready to pounce on me. In other words, I am in that wilderness. I'm devoured by evil. Jesus Christ died alone. So we will never be alone. He walked through the ultimate valley of death so that we will never have to walk that valley. Every other valley we walk through may have a shadow of death, but it will never have death. You see that? And he was devoured by evil. And his life burst into the ultimate separation from God, even though he was completely sinless. And evil completely enveloped him. He became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus Christ endured the ultimate evil so that we would never be ruined by that evil. And if you can't be ruined by evil and God is present with you to save you through evil, then evil can only be used to strengthen you. Everything that you could ever go through if you're in the valley, God is using that evil. God is using that darkness. Even if you are in sin, God is so powerful and yet so tender that he's using your, and he's so wise, that he's using that evil and that sin to shape you and change you and bring you back home safely to him. Oftentimes, like, the pain that you feel in your muscles after an intense workout, I mean, it feels like it's making you weaker. Your workout, you're straining and you're groaning. It feels like it's making you weaker. You're suffering, but it's actually making you stronger. And so I'm going to close with this quote from George Herbert, great uh, Christian poet. He says, death used to be an executioner, but now because of the resurrection, death, even death, is just a gardener. You can't bury a Christian. You can only plant them in the ground, and they will spring up and germinate like a seed. Christian, friend, do you trust this? Can you stake your life on this? Because David says, I've staked my life in so many other things. I've pursued so many other things. And yet now I realize the Lord is my shepherd. I will never lack anything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see that? He is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. What an amazing, amazing prayer for someone who has suffered and bled and cried and sinned greatly in the valley. That's our song. That can be our song. Let's pray and respond then in song. Will you pray with me?